I'm Nisha Zachary, and this is The Zigzag Leap, brought to you by Permission to Leap. For years, I've been talking to people about having permission to take a leap of faith. We all know that life doesn't happen in a straight line, so how do you overcome your past and possibly current circumstances to live the life you were created for? Stick around to hear our guest answers that will lend you some courage to give yourself permission to leap, no matter how twisted the path may be. Welcome to this episode of Permission to Leap. Today I have with me the awesome Stephanie McPhail. Stephanie received her bachelor's in psychology from SUNY New Paltz and her double master's in education and health from Hofstra University. Her experience working as a specialist, trainer, and educator for a crisis intervention and suicide prevention hotline led to her passion for educating people on how to live their most fulfilling lives. Her pursuit of continuing education led to additional certifications in nutrition, various teaching modalities, and working with special needs children, all of which contributed to a well-rounded perspective on wellness. Possessing an innate awareness of our energetic nature, Stephanie was led to become certified as a level two Reiki practitioner. Recognizing a greater calling to inspire others to achieve results reflective of their true potential, she became a relationship coach and was certified as a dream coach, enabling her clients to gain clarity on their true purpose and create a workable action plan to make their greatest dreams a reality. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, how are you? Hi, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. It was already great chatting with you already, so I can't wait to, to be able to chat some more. Right. This is going to be good. Um, so first, I'd like to start off with a question. What is your definition of permission? Permission is giving yourself the ability to live your best life possible. Um, I think way too often we try to follow other people's ideas of what life should be, and we think that we need to like fit into a mold of society standards of what's right or whatever. And for me, giving permission just means allowing yourself to be who you are, what you were put on this planet to do. Exactly. I love that. Absolutely love that. So allowing yourself to be your best self. Now I know that with all of this, there's usually a story before you actually learn how to give yourself permission. And so... (laughs) How about you tell us your background because you have a lot of education. You have a lot of working with people in different um, arenas as far as, you know, following their dreams and then helping children, you know, become their best self. So you've gone through the entire spectrum, but how did you get to the place where, you know, you gave yourself permission to follow your path? It was a long and treacherous path. (laughs) Um, you know, it's interesting. And even as you're saying that, I'm thinking, you know, I I was going through some horrible things myself and I was getting, you know, teacher of the month awards for my students. And, you know, it's just such a good reminder that people that seem like they have it all together. And I've always been a a quote unquote, strong, independent woman. And I think that the the label strong, independent woman was actually almost to my detriment in some way, because I had a really, really unhealthy relationship. And I was so afraid to tell anyone because I didn't want to be embarrassed that they would find out what was really happening with me. Right. So basically, I mean, I started out as a kid and I, um, my parents fought a lot. And so for me growing up, love was this uncomfortable thing. And so I got kind of prepared for love to be uncomfortable. So when I started dating, 
I had, I met a great guy and, and you know, he's a great guy. Um, but things started to go south. And instead of me saying, Hey, you know, I should probably let this relationship go. I held on and he was going to the death of his father. His, his father was sick. And then we watched his, he passed and then he completely changed. And I still held on because my history, what I had seen before is, is that when someone you love is going through something, no matter what it is, you stand by them. And even though he was starting to hurt me, he was becoming aggressive. He was becoming just emotionally abusive, um, financially abusive. I mean, just not a good guy. Um, and again, and he's much better now, but at the time, I mean, it was terrible. He was in a really bad place and I couldn't fix it. And I think that so often, you know, we try to fix things, at least for me. Yes. <laughs> And I think as women too, like I'm going to generalize here, but I think so often it's kind of like we feel like our role as a woman is to try to fix and help. And it kind of, kind of brings us a little bit more into codependency. And I didn't even know what that was when I was, when I was younger. But, but anyway, so I broke it off with, the, with that boyfriend. I started dating again, dated a whole bunch of other terrible men. And then I met my husband, my first husband. And my first husband, he was a friend of a friend's. I thought he was safe. And I said, you know what? I'm ready to have a better relationship. And there was definitely some red flags immediately. And because he was a friend of a friend's, I thought he was a little bit safer. And I said, wait a minute, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the one who's causing these men to be so bad, for them to be so bad. And so what do I have to do to make it a little bit better? Because I had only experienced unhealthy relationships up to that point. And so I started to say, okay, I'm just going to deal with it. And, you know, one of the things I say all the time is people don't stay in unhealthy, abusive relationships because the person calls them names on their first date. I mean, my ex-husband was a charmer. He was a salesperson. He knew how to sell his product and make him, himself look really good. And he, on, on paper, was a really great guy, but he was also very controlling, um, probably a narcissist, borderline personality. And I've had my, my best friend's a psychiatrist says that he was a psychopath. I don't know if that's true or not, but he was definitely something was not right with him. But anyway, so we went through and we started dating. He wanted to move into my house right away because I, I had owned my own house since I was 21. Um, so yeah, strong, independent woman. I, right. <laughs> you know, so he had moved into my house and uh, within a few months after that, he uh, asked me to marry him. And again, there was already name calling. There was already um, him leaving me at places. Um, I mean, just, just not, not healthy communication skills in any way, shape, or form. I, couldn't, I didn't feel like I could talk to him about anything. And then we decided, you know, he asked me to marry him at this beautiful place called Ohiga Castle in, in Long Island, which is like the famous people go there to get married. Like, it's a beautiful place. How can you say no? Like, you know, and right. I... <laughs> I was a princess type of girl, but you know, here I am in a castle and this guy, and I'm like, okay, you know what? I, it's going to be okay. You know, these things that I'm dealing with now, they're going to get better. Yeah. Anyone listening, it doesn't get better. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. It only gets worse. So we, you know, started going through the wedding planning and I wanted a small wedding. He wanted a big wedding and we were having a lot of big red flags that were coming up. And I was just really ignoring them. And one of my friends said to me, well, you know what? Um, there's always issues when you're planning a wedding. So there's always arguing and stuff that goes on. And I, I really, there was part of me that knew that wasn't true. Uh -huh. I was 29 years old. And there was that piece of me that thought I was getting older. And uh -huh. if I have a family and get married and get settled, I needed to make it work with this guy. And that was what was going on in my head. 
So with all red flags, um, we ended up getting married and it was the most, it was beautiful. I mean, it was like a storybook fairy tale. I mean, beautiful, beautiful day. I had family from all over that came to visit. And, um, you know, I was, I was so happy. And we went uh, back to the hotel that night in the honeymoon suite and he proceeded to chase after me. Um, he had, he had taken off my wedding dress and I had put my, my foot in the tub and some water had spilled out. And he lost his temper because I had gotten water on the floor and he said that I didn't care about anything. I didn't, I didn't care about the fact that I had spilled water. And I was like, honey, this is a really expensive place. I don't think they care about water on the marbled floor. <laughs> I don't really think that. But that was enough to get him angry because I said, you know, please don't lose your temper. Let's not ruin the night. So that's where he started proceeding to run, you know, chase me around. And um, I kept trying to hide. I wanted to run away. I couldn't. I was naked. Um, so for about three or four hours, I mean, it was just literally running around the honeymoon suite until he threw me on the bed and started strangling me until I, I lost the ability to fight back. And I started crying, thinking, this is going to be how my life ends. The man, the man that was supposed to be my husband is going to kill me. Yeah. So... I stayed for five years after that. And you would think that, I mean, there was that piece of me that kept thinking, I don't want to be married to this man if this is what he did on my wedding day. But there was also that embarrassment and the guilt. And all these people had come and spent all this money to come and be there. And I, I felt trapped. And I was trapped in my own thoughts. It wasn't anyone else. There was, if anyone knew what he had done, there was not anyone that I know that would have said, you should stay married to him. No one but I was so embarrassed right. that this had happened to me. So I didn't say anything. So he promised that he was going to get better. And like most things happen, you know, three months went by and he was better. And then he started losing his temper again. And so for the next five years, um, I never knew what I was going to get when I came home. It was like I was walking on eggshells. Um, I was pushed. I was spit on. Um, I mean, I was called, you know, being called a bitch, or excuse the word, cunt on a regular basis was a normal thing for him. I'd gotten used to it. Um, and so, you know, and then again, if it was the first time I had heard it when we were first dating, yeah, I would have never put up with it. But if that's slow, we get used to acclimating, you know, as human right. beings try to acclimate. And so, um, you know, he, he was in, in the house, out of the house. We were breaking it off, coming back in. I was getting order protections against him. Then he was, he was begging and coming back in the house. And it was this back and forth type of thing. And I was just really losing myself. And I was afraid to even really be who I was because he would say to me, like, you're talking too loud. People don't want to hear what you have to say. You're always, you know, you always have to be the center of attention. Why do you, you know, you're so fake and you're so, and I'm like, no, I'm actually real. And this is who I am and stop trying, you know, what are you doing? And so I stopped even trying to be myself. I, I became more quiet, a little bit more introverted. Uh, he had decided to go back to school. And I said, okay, go back to school. That's going to make you happy. Because even then I wanted other people to be happy. And I said, you know, I, I, if that's going to make you happy, I'll, I've always been the caretaker. I'm going to, I'll keep working. I know that the bills can be paid. I was working whatever extra jobs I could work. And he decided to, um, one day while I was at one of my second jobs, he sent me a text message that said he had quit his job. And I said, I texted him back and I said, Hey, sweetheart, please do me a favor and, and ask for your job back. You were going to make like $500 today and we really need the money. And he had not given me any money in months. So I was really hoping there would be a little bit of reprieve and get some money. And so his response was, 
just like typical cunt bitch Stephanie to not support her husband's. And I was done. And that, it wasn't the spinning, it wasn't the keeping me up at night, it wasn't the cursing at it, wasn't, it, was, it, was, it was just that moment where I looked at that cell phone and I was like, what am I doing? And I said, I, I can't do this for the next 50 years of my life. Right. I die on my deathbed and this was the man I was married to. So I was 34 years old and I had, you know, from, from 29 to 34, the whole time I kept having that feeling of saying, I want to end this relationship. I want to end this relationship, but I kept being afraid that I was too old. I'm not going to have the family. I'm not going to have the things that I want if I, if I don't stay. But of course staying, I didn't want him to be the father of any children that I might have because I knew that it would be a bad situation for them. Right. So I, um, I decided to get a divorce. And of course there was stalking. There was, you know, if he found out I was dating someone else, he would call them up and tell them that I had an STD or that we were getting back together or anything he could do to try to keep a hold on having the ability to keep me close. And, um, you know, no matter what I was, I, you couldn't have paid me to go back with him, but I was trying to kind of placate him. And so after that, I ended up, um, I started dating somebody else and he got crazy with that. And then it was just kind of one of those things where like things just started to snowball where instead of things getting better right away, mm-hmm. it started getting worse and worse and worse. And I, I, I got into some legal issues. Um, my grandmother passed away. Um, the guy that I had been dating, um, decided to ghost me. So he just disappeared. I, I didn't even know what happened. And at that point, and oh, and I got a blood clot in my arm. And so it got, it was like, I mean, there was a little while where I was like, am I getting punked? Like, this is a little bit ridiculous that this is all, this is happening to me, you know? And, you know, after the the blood clot and the guy ghosting me, I went through a depression. I could not get out of bed. I couldn't eat. I lost 20 pounds. I was, you know, barely making it to work, barely doing what, and I was always the one who held it all together. And I, I was not holding it together anymore. And I, I, that was rock bottom for me. I mean, that was my lowest, my lowest, lowest point. And for about three or four months, I would just come home from work and lay in my bed. Um, I'd get right into my pajamas and I would just lay in bed and try to watch self-help videos or just stare into nothing. Cause I was just so depressed. I couldn't, I, breathing hurt, you know, just everything was just painful. Yeah. And, uh, so, and then, so it's actually kind of funny because a few weeks later I was at work and I sprained my ankle and it, and it was just like, and I seriously remember being in the emergency room and I looked up and I was like, okay, universe, I get it. I get it. And of course, when I sprained my ankle, who was the person that was my, uh, the go-to call was my ex-husband. So they called my ex-husband to say, oh, your wife, because they didn't know what was going on for me. Oh, your wife is in the emergency room with a sprained ankle. So he went to, so here I am with my ex-husband with a sprained ankle, major depression, and here I am laughing and, you know, people at me are like, look, what is wrong with her? Like she's gone off the deep end, you know? And I said, I need to fix this. I don't ever want to go through any of this ever again. And from there on out, I started to really just figure out who I was. And I really gave myself the opportunity to find out who I was without a relationship, to yeah. connect with myself, um, to discover what love felt like without another person and to just kind of love myself because I don't think I'm loving myself at all. And I, um, and I just took some time to just do whatever made me happy. And I surrounded myself only with people that made me happy. And then after a time, 
I, I spent a few years completely by myself and having a, a grand old time, loving being single so much. I finally met a great guy, tried to break it off because he was too good. I wasn't used to, to really great guys. <laughs> there can't be really great guys out there. So I tried to break it off and I was like, this is a mistake. And I finally gave him a chance. And the good thing about it is that I was able to really get to know him on a friend level. And before I think that I jumped too quickly into relationships and I, I, you know, didn't give the opportunity for the relationship to grow, but I really, because I was so apprehensive, I really took it slow. And so, you know, we've been married now for three years. We have a two-year-old son and I am actually pregnant with our second child. And congratulations. My best friend. And it's just an amazing, wonderful journey to have been on. And I'm so grateful for all those experiences because I get to share them with other people and I get to be where I am now because I went through those. So right. anger or hurt, I mean, there's no hurt anymore. It's just, that's what it was. And I couldn't imagine going back there and I would, I can't imagine anyone staying there for any longer than they have to, because it, it is such a horrible, it's so terrible to be there. I remember all too well what it was like being in that situation. Wow. Okay. So you just said, a whole lot that I, I want to like really dig into because your story is not um, unique to you. Mm -hmm. It is a story that plays out for many women, whether they are in their 20s, some of them are in their teens. Like I was in my teens going through an abusive relationship. You were in your 20s. There are women who have been in these relationships for their entire lives, mm -hmm. um, you know, they're on their deathbed with that man. And so how did you, I understand like you got the text message, but you've been dealing with this for five years. What was it in that moment that was just like, enough is enough? I, well, I think that, I mean, my mom had said something to me and she, and you know, and again, my parents are still together and, and I love them, but they, were, they themselves had a very unhealthy relationship. So that's what I witnessed growing up. But my mom had actually taken me to the side and she said, you know, you don't want to live your whole life this way. And, you know, you don't want this to be it is because if we, if we only live one life and this is what it is, is this the best life that you had? And that really resonated with me. And I think that when, when I saw that text message, I mean, the week before I got that text message, I had seen one of my friends um, that I don't see very often, but we're, I've known her since middle school. And she actually, I had said to her, I'm really thinking about leaving my, my husband. Um, I said, but I'm, I'm scared. I don't know how he's going to react because I had spoken to domestic violence shelters. I mean, I, I had really tried to get the best ideas of what to do. Right. She said, there's always room at my house. Come to my house. And I said, are you sure? Because I really, I don't know how, if he'll find me. And she's like, He'll, he won't come to my house. It does. I have cameras everywhere. They'll call directly to the police. Come to my house. I'm not worried. So I had that out. So I already knew that I had that out when that happened. And I said, okay, that was the, the icing on the cake. As I've been preparing emotionally, I had been saving money. Um, one of the things that I recommend to anyone who's in a situation that way, uh, in that kind of way, is to talk to your domestic violence um, shelter, domestic violence hotline, whomever you can talk to to really find out what's legal in your area. Because if you have children, it's a little bit different. Um, but find out really what, you know, what you can do. But also to start saving, even if it's $5 here, a dollar there, whatever you can do um, to just start saving money. So I even had a few hundred dollars just tucked away that I had been hiding for months 
just in case I even had to just get a hotel and not have anyone find me. So I, I was really, I'd been preparing emotionally because I also knew it was going to be a really big fight. Right. Preparing myself for, I was like, okay, you have to be strong and you can't, because before it was, we get back together. We, you know, we break up, we get back together. And I said, once I do this, I don't want to go back and I need him to understand that we're not getting back. So whatever, whatever it took, I had to prepare myself emotionally and really you know, dot my I's and cross my T's to make sure that there was no ability for him to try to weasel his way back in. Right. That's, wow. So you mentioned um, codependency when you first started talking. For people that don't know or understand what that is, recognize the signs and symptoms of it, what does that look like? Codependency is, you know, and it's, it's really interesting because it's so much more common than anyone realizes, but codependency realistically, a really simple way of explaining it is caring about other people or putting other people's needs above your own. And so, you know, where someone else is going through some type of, um, you know, maybe an illness or maybe like a lot of the times codependency goes along with drug addiction. Mm -hmm. So someone has a, is, a, is a drug addict and it's someone that you love and it could be a parent, it could be, you know, a, a sexual relationship, it could be a friend, you know, whatever, but they keep doing the same things and they keep hurting you. They're lying to you. Maybe they're stealing from you. They're, you know, not following through on, on promises they make, whatever, but you keep allowing them back in. And you keep making excuses and it's making you very sad and you're depressed and you're having a hard time dealing with, it. but every time they come back, you take them back and you just accept everything and it starts to be, it starts to wear you down. So someone who's healthy would say, Hey, wait a minute. I need you to know what my boundary is. Because one of the things that I found when I'm working with clients is that boundaries are non-existent with a lot of people. And, and I didn't have any boundaries because I did not grow up with learning about boundaries. If I tried to even set up what I thought was a boundary as a kid, it was kind of like squashed. So it was just like, no, we, we, we decide what we want to do for you. You don't get to decide, you know, how things go for you. I mean, that was kind of what I, I guess I learned growing up. So I didn't know what those were as in a adult relationship. And I, and a lot of women, I don't think know either because basically when something starts to feel uncomfortable, you need to let the other person know that you're not comfortable with it and how you expect them to behave. Right. So like, I kind of think about it as like, it's that space and it's, everyone's different. Everyone's boundaries are a little bit different, but if you start to feel that discomfort, mm -hmm. the person says, Hey, I'm noticing that there's a little bit of discomfort. What is it? And then they're able to verbalize what the discomfort is, tell the person that's causing them discomfort and then tell them what their expected outcome is. And then if they don't follow through with that boundary, then they read, you know, relook at the relationship or maybe relook at the boundary or whatever they need to do, but they're constantly enforcing that boundary. Okay. So then once you left, you've got the message, you're, you know, you've, you've made that, you've drawn the line in the sand, you've put up your boundaries, you've mm -hmm. gotten out, and then you decide that you're going to love yourself. Now, I personally would say that you started loving yourself way before you got out mm -hmm. of there. Because otherwise, you, I don't think you would have been able to, to do it. Mm -hmm. you know? um, I don't think you would have been able to put those boundaries up if you hadn't, you know, given yourself permission to say, hey, I'm better than this. I'm worth more than this. You know, that kind of thing. But um, once you got out, you know, you were worried about the embarrassment and the guilt. How did you set the embarrassment and the guilt aside to just say, this is what I need for me? And damn the torpedoes, screw the rest of the world. <laughs> I got to do this. 
Um, I hate to say, but I think the realistic thing is that because I was so depressed, you start to just not care. And so anything where he was saying, because he would threaten me like, oh, I'm going to share with other people what your legal issues are if you don't do this. Or, you know, there was things he would try to manipulate. And I just, I just really got to the point where I was like, go for it. Go to my job. Say whatever you want. I really don't care. I don't care. And it really was almost, it was freeing because when you, like I cared so much before, right. like just, just do it. Because at this point I was in such a low place. He couldn't, I couldn't have go any lower. I mean, I'm sure you always can, but right. at that point, I, I didn't feel like I could go any lower. So there was no, there was no manipulating me anymore because before I had such a vested interest in, you know, trying to make it work or trying to make him happy and I didn't care to make him happy. I didn't care if he was angry. I didn't care if he tried to threaten me or try to put me down or if he had something bad to say about me because I didn't care about what he thought anymore. You know, it just, it just, so, I mean, yes, I started to think more about myself, but the, the reality was, is that all I was thinking of, I don't have to deal with him anymore. Even if I'm lonely, even if I'm sad, I will be all of those things with him. And that was really what motivated me. It wouldn't be with him. Hold on just Okay, I'm sorry. I'll okay. edit this part out. <laughs> Baby's coming down yelling. They're supposed to be upstairs with my husband. Um, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Just knowing that there's an end to that particular part, like there is no going forward with that. You're no longer trapped. You are actually free, and you can be exactly who it is that you want to be. Mm -hmm. So you... You've gone through the depression. How is it that you are now, you know, the happiest that you've been? Like we were talking about, you know, that was, you know, earlier in your life. And now here we are, you know, 10 years later mm -hmm. and you're a totally different person. So how did you give yourself permission to like, okay, I don't care about that anymore, but let me pull myself up and be me. Well, the, the, the thing that was kind of cool. So when I sprained my ankle and I had like my moment with God or the universe or whatever you want to call it, um, I really said to myself, okay, this is my opportunity to learn from these lessons. And, you know, I, instead of saying, oh, poor me, these bad things happened to me, because that's how I felt. I had felt before I wanted someone to come and save me. I wanted a knight in shining armor to come and save me. And other relationships had started because they were my knight in shining armors that came out to save the day that actually made things even worse. And so it was finally to that point where I made the conscious decision to stop trying to get other people to save me and to save myself. And that was a huge shift because- That's awesome. Yeah. And when you, when you learn, when you start looking for the lesson, I was like, okay, what was the thing that I had in common with all these different relationships? What was going on? I was trying too hard to put all my happiness on someone else. And, and everyone, there was, everyone was damaged in some way. And the codependent empath that I am, the, the background in counseling and all these different things, I wanted to help everybody. I saw it. What makes me a good coach now, but made me really bad back then is that I'm really good at seeing people's possibilities. I love that. But not good in a relationship. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Especially being an empath because you feel, you know, so deeply for those people that you are with. So mm -hmm. it makes it really hard to separate your own feelings from their feelings. 
weeks. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so while all of this was going on, you have this job. How, okay, so here's the question, the real question. What was the rest of the world seeing? Um, the rest of the world, so my very close friends uh, were seeing me, you know, breaking down. And, and my closest friends were saying, we've never seen you like this. Even when you were in the abusive relationship, even when, you know, things were at their worst. I mean, I would, instead of going home, I'd go to the beach and cry. I live, I live on an island. So there's beaches, there's beaches a few, you know, miles away from my house. And instead of going home, I would just go cry, you know, for an hour. And then I would go home and, and try to deal with whatever I had to deal with. Um, and, and again, I wasn't telling anyone. So, so people weren't seeing it. And, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, once I, I mean, I started telling people what had happened afterwards and, and, you know, so they kind of started to know, but I have to say, even my closest friends, I'm not sure really knew because the first time I ever did a podcast sharing my story, I had about five or six of my really good friends call me in tears and they were just so sad. And I said, you know, what, why, what's the matter? You know, everything's good now. And they were like, I just feel so terrible that you felt so alone and felt that you couldn't come to me. And I said, well, it's not that I didn't think I could go to you. It's that I didn't want to tell anybody because even saying the words of what was going on was too painful. And right. it, it was too embarrassing. Like here I am, I chose this person to be my husband and here I am in this awful situation. And I mean, and some of them had warned me ahead of time. We're, we're seeing some red flags. You shouldn't, you probably shouldn't marry him. And I was like, it'll be fine. You know, he loves me. We love each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's always going to be fine. It's, it's yeah. This. I, can, I can do this. Because I, yeah, because I got it. I've always got it. I've always, I'm the oldest in my family and I've got this. I'm, I take care of everybody. What I need is not as important, but I'm going to take care of everybody else to make sure everybody else is okay. And the universe stopped letting me do that. And I had to face it and I had to feel and, and really feel the pain. But yeah, so, I mean, really people didn't see it, but I think that in allowing myself to start to, to share my story and to, you know, talk about it openly, other people were starting to be a little bit more open with me and share stories of things that they had been through. And for me to really feel the pain, because, you know, again, I think that so often we try to avoid it. We have that, that pain avoidance and, you know, and I see it also with my clients as well is that, you know, as soon as something feels uncomfortable, we back away, uh -huh. you know, it's, oh my God, that really hurts to break off up with this awful guy. Okay. So I'm going to not break up with him instead of saying it hurts to break up with this awful guy, but then I'm going to be done with it and the pain's going to be over and then I can move on to something else. But in right. forward and backward movement, in fact, most people, if they're, you know, it's an average about nine times to leave a abusive or toxic, unhealthy relationship. So yeah. You know, it's, it's a process and people get frustrated, you know, definitely friends and family get frustrated. And again, that's why I didn't even really want to share as much because I was like, they, they can't want to hear me talk about this anymore. And I wouldn't even tell everything that was going on, but I just couldn't even hear myself talk about it anymore. Right. Whoa. So now you help people bring out their best selves. And, you know, in doing that, you've written or you're writing a book. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? Sure. The, uh, the name of the book is Being Loved Shouldn't Hurt. Um, recognize and overcome toxic relationships so you can live your best life. Um, and so it's, it's, it's one of those things where I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm a writer necessarily, but the book had to be written. 
And it was one of those things where it was like, it was like a calling or a pulling. I mean, even what I'm doing now, it's not, it's almost like I don't have a choice. It's just what I feel like I have to do. It's my purpose. You know, all of those things, this was the purpose. So, um, you know, writing the book was, was just, I, I explain in much more detail, um, everything that I went through while I was married and all the different relationships that I was in. Um, and then I actually asked some other people to come in and share some of their stories. So there are three other stories in there as well um, that, are, that are still unhealthy relationships, but from a different perspective. Um, and then about three quarters of the way or two thirds of the way into the book, then I have a whole section on you know, red flags, green lights, um, because that's something that a lot of us that didn't know what was healthy before, we don't know. You know, back in the day when I was being called names, oh, I've just called names. Like, that's just what it is. Now, my husband would never call me names. Like, I, he's never cursed at me. There has never been anything disrespectful like that ever. And if he did, I would be shocked. Like, that would be, uh, like, you, we need to figure out what's like, it wouldn't happen. You know, and he says, he's like, right. he, he'll look at me, he's like, Steph, I, I would never say that because I know what the consequences would be. It would not be pretty. I'm like, no, it wouldn't. But but me 10 years ago, I would have been like, oh, okay. So we called me a bitch again. You know, it was just, it was just right. painful. Um, so yeah, the red flags, the green lights. Um, I really go into detail what codependency is and where it comes from. Um, and then, you know, talk about how things are now. And even as someone who has been codependent, you know, the things that I know I need to be a little bit more careful of about really being open and honest and not because I, I think that before my coping mechanism was to try to kind of pull back a little bit and not share feelings um, because I didn't want to upset the other person. Now, you know, if I feel myself starting to get upset or worried about something, I immediately say it. Even if I know that it might be something that might upset him or he might be uncomfortable with, I just, as soon as it starts to make me uncomfortable, I just let him know. And that conversation is just such a better conversation. And he needs a little bit more of, which is interesting too, is because you get that different ways of dealing personalities, <laughs> you know, so he needs to hear it, whatever the issue is, and then think about it and then come back and discuss it later. So, you know, you kind of figure out what works best in your relationship and how, you know, people talk to each other, what their love language is and how they communicate with each other. Um, I love that. Kind of talk about those things as well. So, it, and it's really just, it's really the, just the story and how other people can get themselves out of these unhealthy types of relationships and really start living their best life now and not stop putting it off. Stop saying, you know, I'm too old or it's going to, you know, when the kids are grown or at this other point in the future, the time to start doing it is now, not at some other point. I think that's a big one. Okay. Can I pause right here? I got to yep. say, I don't yep. know what is going on up there. <laughs> okay. Um, so you mentioned, hold on, now I've lost my train of thought. Yeah. Good thing I can edit all of this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, they threw me off. Um, you were talking about, you know, the whole process of getting out and, you know, being able to, you know, see what's going on within the relationship for yourself. So seeing it for other people. But there are some people who will say, okay, I see all of this stuff happening, but I can't. If I leave, this is what's going to happen. You know, he's going to react this way. It's mm -hmm. going to be worse than if I just stayed. So I may as well just stay here or I can't leave because I have the kids to think about. What is it? Is there anything that you could say to the woman who is staying or stuck in her, in her mind? She's stuck. She doesn't want to be there, mm -hmm. but she can't get out. 
I mean, there's a, there's a few things. One of the things that I recommend, you know, people that are still in it um, or they just got out or still in it, either of those, um, I strongly, strongly recommend. In fact, for everybody, see a therapist, talk to a therapist, you know, and really reach out to whoever's in your network that is able to help you. So, you know, finding out, you know, setting up a place where, you know, do you have friends that you could go and stay with? Find out if that's even a possibility. Um, I know because, you know, there's been people that I've spoken to, which I completely understand their biggest fear was going to live in a domestic violence shelter. You know, they didn't want to do that because that was right. much. And I completely understand that. I mean, I didn't want to, I was like, I own a house. Why should I be the one that go goes and lives in a domestic violence shelter? But the reality is that went, again and again, I didn't care at that point if he burned my house down, if he stole my thing, like I didn't care. None of those things mattered. I just needed to get out. So I think that for the people that are stuck, you know, thinking I need to stay in for the children, you know, to keep reminding them that you're causing a major disservice to the children by staying. Because like for me, I grew up in an unhealthy family type of relationship, which got me ready for unhealthy relationships when I got older. Right. So, perpetuating that. So they're not actually helping their children. It's better for them to have less money um, or go to a shelter than it is for them to stay with someone who they're worried is going to hurt them physically or emotionally and to really work on their support team and look, work on their self-esteem. So the quicker they can get into counseling when a lot of times, you know, if there's not enough money, if that's a concern, you know, there's definitely some free counseling through domestic violence types of shelters um, through local agencies, there's cr local crisis hotlines that people can call to get assistance as well. Right. So I really ask them to do all of those things. And, um, you know, like I'm a speaker for RAIN, um, which is, you know, an abuse for abuse victims. And so, you know, there, I know that there are so many different outlets that people think that there's, there aren't any, there isn't anything out there, but there is. I mean, there's so many um, outlets to get help from. So I would strongly recommend that. And I, I mean, and that's actually something that I um, left out was that before I did decide to get a divorce, I had started therapy and I'd been in therapy in and out while I was in my various relationships. I'd go and I would start and I would stop. And then, you know, it was just kind of this back and forth thing for me. And then before I ended it, you know, I, I had started to go to therapy regularly. And that was, a, you know, that was something. And I read the book Codependent No More, which I would definitely recommend for people that are in it. Um, you know, if it's not safe for you to bring that book home, have it at work or have it somewhere where you can, you know, read some of it. You can get it, excuse me, you can get it online. And you can actually, what a lot of places have that are, that work with domestic violence victims is there's a quick button that will not show in your history and will delete the page immediately. So they have because they're aware that women are afraid to look up information because of the fact they're afraid of their, of their spouse. So there's, there's lots of options for me, you know, I'm, I'm more, you know, six months or a year after they've gotten out, once they've done that deep work with their therapist um, and really figured out the, the core of it, of what the real issues are, then it's kind of, cause what I really love about being a coach is that I, I kind of get to be a little bit more directive um, so I can, I can help in a different way where a therapist is more like trying to figure out your feelings and get it, get it out of you. You know, I come into the point of, okay, we figured it out. We know why I do this. Now I just want to know who I am. I want to know how do I make myself, how do I figure out who I am without all these other relationships? Okay. So you're speaking of what you do. I know you do more than just, um, 
coaching women who have come out of these relationships. So what is your business? Well, so, I mean, my business, what I, what I mostly do is I do coaching, one-on-one coaching. I do group coaching. Um, I, I'm actually looking to do some, some more events with people because I, I really would like to do um, more just like women's empowerment type of things because I really, there's so often that women feel like they don't have a voice and right. be able to give women that voice back. And, you know, whether or not you're in an unhealthy relationship, I just, I just feel like it's becoming, it's so, so, so common for women to feel muted in society. Yes. So, you know, anything that I can do to help us, to help more women be empowered and to really just support each other. Because even, you know, it's funny, I, I just finished a six week um, group with some of, with a few women. And one of the things that they said was how much they loved just interacting with other women that were being supportive and trying to work on themselves. Right. Because, you know, it's so often where women, you know, women on the line to the bathroom in a restaurant or at a bar or something like that, everyone's so nice to each other. But then you come out and people are looking at each other and they're not nice to each, you know, they're being judgmental and everything else. And, and I don't think that that's real. I think that that's kind of been something trained for a lot of people because right. of the parties. So if we can just really get women to feel stronger and feel powerful and help each other out and, and realize we're all on our own journey, it's all such a separate journey, but so the same, you know, it's, we all, at the end results is still, is pretty much the same, but how we get there is so different. And so really working towards that together is, is a big, is a big thing for me. And of course I do, uh, I can do Reiki. My husband's a um, Reiki master teacher because he's been practicing for, I want to say nine years now. Uh, and he does something called Psyche, and Psyche is a high-speed high mindset change. So it's actually kind of cool because with, like, with my last group of coaching clients, we actually had each one of them meet with my husband separately, and all of this is online, so you can be anywhere and be a part of any of these groups. But he actually met with each of them um, individually and figured out some of those subconscious beliefs that were keeping them from achieving their goals. And it was great to see how it was like a switch that went off for a lot of people. Um, to figure out like, oh, okay, that's why I'm doing that. And then to have the coaching on top of it to kind of reiterate um, what, what their new way of thinking was. So it, it, it was really, really great to have that combination. I mean, what's great about my husband and I is that we, we both have such a similar vision. You know, he's a helper as well. He wants to help humanity get to be into a better place. So it's just great to have that same vision and someone who's so supportive in being, you know, being an entrepreneur and, and doing all these things uh, right. that I do. So. Yeah. So, we, I mean, we work together, so we get to do a lot of fun stuff together. That's awesome. Okay. So you said all of this stuff is online. Where can people find out more information about you and what you do and know when the book is coming out? Well, okay. So some, some really great um, things to be aware of. We have www.mindandbodyawakenings, which is the name of our business. Okay. Uh, we're actually in the process of relaunching. So if you go check it out today, it'll look different than it does in about two or three weeks. So we're right about beginning of May when it's going to relaunch. Um, I also run a private group called Being Loved Shouldn't Hurt, which is also the name of my book. Um, there's, it's a good group. There's a lot of activity that's in there, but you know, I, I share lots of informational videos and you know, inspirational quotes and things like that to try to keep people focused on the prize of, of their journey um, and figuring themselves out. So, and, and I offer a lot of support for anyone who's interested in, in doing that. And then, of course, if anybody wanted um, to have a one-on-one -on -one session with me, you know, I, I can do a free 15-minute, you know, breakout session and see if there's, if there's anything that I can do to help you right in that moment or if there's anything we can do to work together or what the best fit is 
um, for you on your journey um, for that as well. So yeah, I mean, we, we've got lots of different things um, coming up and, and lots of different ways. And of course, Mind and Body Awakenings on Facebook, and then we have Mind and Body Awakenings on Instagram. So say hi, like, follow us, and, and feel free to um, share whatever you think resonates for you and, and you think can help other people. Awesome. This has been so good to talk to you and get all of this information out there because I think there are a lot of women who, you know, yes, it's easy to say I'm going to give myself permission and, you know, let's just take the leap. But there are sometimes so the backstory is so deep that you have to like really start at that backstory and start at the bottom and, you know, really claw your way out just the way you did. You know, you have to go through all of the steps to really come out and heal and be ready to give yourself permission. Mm -hmm. So I thank you so much for joining me and, you know, sharing your story and encouraging other women to like really look at their situation and decide what it is that they want. And, and thank you so much for having me. It, it was great. And I'm, you know, if anyone has anything they want to reach out, feel free to reach out. You know, I, I know how hard it is when you're, when you're in it, when you're in the, the, the darkness, um, yes. that when I came out of the darkness and I started to see the world for what it was, it's, it's so beautiful. I mean, it was just, it was like the, the, the sun was brighter and the colors were brighter and it was just such, it's such a beautiful place if we allow it. There's so, there's an abundance of joy right. in all of us. So we, I, I want you to be there too. So if I can do anything to help you out, I would, I would love to be a part of your journey. That is awesome. So I will put all of the information for Stephanie underneath the video. So whether it's on Facebook or YouTube, if you look underneath the video, you'll find all of the information to get in contact with Stephanie. Um, if you are stuck in a situation, reach out to someone um, who will help you, whether it's a domestic violence hotline or it's a friend, someone that you know is going to treasure your information and keep you safe. But do what you need to do for you really look at your entire situation and find your way out. Mm -hmm. Thank you again, Stephanie, for joining me. Thank you all. And we will see you on the next episode. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Permission to Leap, go to permissiontoleap.com and subscribe to our email list. When you do, we'll send you a digital leap guide. Thanks again and talk to you next time.